0: Welcome to One Star Bazaar, where we review the movie's critics hated in search of the unfairly underrated. This week, we have a special guest, Josh Terry, film critic for the Deseret News here in Utah. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: You're welcome. It's glad to be here.
0: Yes, we are very thrilled to have you. Thank you again so much for taking the time out to to speak with us. Oh, you bet. Yeah, it's
2: it's uh, nice to get a perspective from a critic from time to time, since a lot of what we kind of talk about is why did critics think this was bad or, you know, just, you know, get the other side of the fence. Cause since so much of what we do is based on looking at critics scores, right. That tend to, you know, for the movies we're watching, be really low and, you know, kind of decide whether that was fair or not, especially in the context of history. I think we do a lot of movies that are a little bit older. of, we try to mix it up old and new. And sometimes it's like, looking back with the perspective of time passing, it's like, huh, was this really that bad? Or even was this really that good in the case of some movies that people like? And you're like, "Ah, I don't know if that's that great by today's standards.
0: Like Hook was our most recent example. Like both of us loved it as children. Did you, Uh, you've seen it, right?
1: (laughs) I have seen it, but it would be about 25 years ago. So I don't remember much about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we rewatched it. And for me, I was like, I still kind of held that childhood magic. Whereas he was like, no, this is not good for adults to watch. Like, it is a kid's movie for sure. And critics kind of had that same feeling. It had a 30-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so critics didn't like it either.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying about the historical perspective because there there are times when I actually wish that I could, re- I could review a movie twice, you know, once right away, and then another time maybe like a year or two later because right. – because it, with with a little perspective, I mean, there there are times when I have to turn around and get a review in the next morning after seeing it the previous night, and and uh, you know sometimes it, you don't it doesn't quite get a chance to uh, to settle in the way you'd like.
2: So with that, I'll ask you: Are there any recent movies that you think might age better than they were than they came across right now, like maybe wow. ten years from now? for oh.
0: example, Roger Ebert hated *The Big Lebowski* when he first saw it, and
2: right.
0: then ten or fifteen years later, he was like, "I was wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> good movie.
1: Yeah, no. Well, so I I don't have any off the top of my head, but I can I, I think *Big Lebowski* is a good example. And I I actually watched a movie. Uh, no, not a movie. It was a a video on YouTube just recently that was ranking all of the Coen Brothers movies, and I was I was shocked and not shocked that they actually ranked. Big Lebowski number one. Uh, because I I I love the movie. I mean, I think it's I, I completely understand why it's a cult hit and why it's so beloved and, and why it's so quotable. But as a movie, it kind of seems like a mess. And so I could I could definitely see how if I had reviewed that at the time, I would have been critical of kind of the incoherence and kind of the, the chaos the chaos of it. But in time, obviously it would have been. Been more endearing when you kind of think about the characters and think about the crazy situations and the individual components that, you know, at least to me, don't add up to the most coherent and and you know excellent movie as a finished product, but you can still appreciate the individual parts.
0: Yeah, and the cultural impact too. I think
2: does it help? Does it help where kind of historic the historical context as as it's gone along, you know, and it's dissected it by film students and whatnot. Does it help to think of it as, like, a hard-boiled film noir detective story, but set in, like, a whole different setting? Because that's what I've heard. It's kind of, you know, what it really is. It's basically a Humphrey Bogart movie, like a – what's his name?
0: I have no idea where you're Like going. the multi
2: Falcon <laughs> character. Oh,
1: Maltese Falcon,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, like that kind of story, but in a totally opposite – and it's fine.
1: We don't need to really sure. go oh, too yeah. far into that, but – No, I – I would, I would accept that.
0: So on kind of the track of movies that maybe didn't live up to their potential in the current era, do you, what's the worst movie you've ever seen?
1: Oh, wow. Well.
0: Or like top, like a couple, if you can't think yeah, of it, absolute absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, way. so it almost, it almost seems like there's kind of two separate concepts there because there are, there are movies that are bad because they're bad and there are movies that are bad because we expected better.
2: That's true.
1: Right and because and, this is one of the questions that, uh, that uh, I kind of prepared for and and well m- modestly prepared for and because one <laughs> of the the movies that sprang to mind from about gosh about five six years ago was the uh, the host the that was adapted from the uh, oh my gosh the Stephanie Meyer novel after yeah. the Twilight series right so so it still kind of has this, Supernatural, sci-fi, romance type thing going on, um, and I just I just remember watching that. Now I, you know, like, full disclosure, I didn't read the book, um, but from what I could tell, that it, it did not translate in the least that that movie like that one. That's one of the first ones that kind of jumps out to mind as far as the worst movies that I've, and I. And I think about it more in terms of the movies that I've professionally reviewed you know not so much the ones i've just kind of watched on my own at 2 a.m on cable but uh,
0: you can come across some some garbage (laughs) yeah sure
1: the the disappointing ones that's that's kind of a tougher category you know you can because there are there are definitely movies that i think you know if if it wasn't for the expectations we'd probably dismiss them as a perfectly reasonable movie like i i'm inclined you know i'm just kind of you know shooting off the top of my head here but it seems like with a lot of the the kind of the the big franchises like the the comic book movies and you know and the star wars and and things like that the stakes are so high that even a perfectly good movie in the series will just get destroyed because of the fan expectations and and kind of the sense of what we think it should be or what we expected and 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 that, which, which seems very different from something like, you know, The Host or, or just something that's just completely in, incompetent, you know? Yeah, I feel,
2: I can't think of right now, but I definitely think we've watched some movies where my thought was, you know, if this hadn't been connected to this franchise, it would have been fine. People wouldn't have really hated it. It wouldn't have been good, but it would have right. been mediocre. Like
0: Batman right. vs. Superman?
2: Yeah, maybe like a Batman vs. Superman. Or... I was thinking the same thing. Or even like the Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor's, when we watched about a month ago. Yeah, we did watch. And that it recently. was, it was not good. But <laughs> I think it was a huge letdown because even though the first two mummies are not like amazing movies, they're still fun. Uh, sure.
1: Um. So that yeah. was that was the third one in the the Brendan Fraser yes. series. Um, yes.
0: The one with Jet Li, where they go to China. Wow. Very
1: You know, it's I don't even, I didn't even know that one existed. Yeah. <laughs> I are really I
0: not missing.
1: Correctly, that. the Scorpion King didn't they?
0: That's a. I mean, that's. Yeah, so that's a spinoff, uh, franchise, yeah, a spin-off franchise. Okay. Yeah. Which they've made like six of at this point. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, and
2: going to what you're saying, um, one of the things we kind of talk about on our show is we try to specifically look for movies to watch that are that were intended to be good, or right. you know, they actually have to be like Hollywood movies. With right. a decent budget, like we're not gonna review
0: Manos, um, The Hands of yeah, Fate. Yeah, you
2: know, like movies that get made fun of on Mystery Science Theater. Gotcha. That, you know they're bad because they had no budget and they were just a bunch of, you know, we're not we're not doing like trauma films <laughs> right. and stuff. Um,
0: so, do you have like a favorite movie that would surprise people, like knowing you're a film critic?
1: Um, it, I mean, would it almost it would. We just say a, like a guilty pleasure type thing that yeah. shouldn't I shouldn't like.
0: Yeah, like you oh, totally like, probably it's not great, like critically you just love it's it. not a great movie, but you enjoy watching it.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think probably people would be surprised that I've had a soft I say had past tense, right? But I've had a <laughs> soft spot for for certain romantic comedies over the year. Um, Partially because they, you know, it's pretty easy to criticize the genre. But uh you know, there's there's certain ones that, that I've enjoyed quite a bit. And and, and well, I, I said maybe I say that because I, I I find it really easy to be harsh on uh, uh, Nicholas Sparks movies, which aren't romantic comedies, at least in an intentional sense, but uh, that uh, They're
0: more yeah. like romantic well, cry fest. Like there's not a single one where you don't just like start crying again. 20 minutes into
1: it <laughs> right right yeah no I mean I, I I have fond memories of uh of serendipity from years ago which
0: yeah you know, John Cuseback at uh yeah. Kate, Kate,
1: Lynch, a, sale. Kate, Kate sale. Yeah. Sale.
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah no that uh that one I mean I don't know if that would it would shock or, or horrify people I don't think it would be disqualified or anything from my job <laughs> but uh I don't I don't think people look back on that one as one of the greats
0: yeah, so, so along with that then, I mean, especially we've talked sometimes about how like romantic comedies or the comedy genre are kind of more forgiving when it comes to the story or the acting, maybe not living up to the rest of it. Right. Do you think there are some elements that can make up for a generally bad movie?
1: Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a little difficult to put my finger on exactly what the quality is technically, but I, I think that, you know, movies are supposed to be fun. In in a lot of, at least in a lot of the, the movies that you guys are describing here, with the big budgets that are supposed to be kind of blockbusters and that, and and I think that that a movie, even if if there are certain things that are a little a little hammy or, or maybe not quite up to, you know, Oscar worthy standards, if people have a good time, I think that you know we can overlook a lot, and and I can see. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is the perfect example, but just one thing that springs to mind is the difference between the Fast and Furious series and the Transformers series. <laughs> were, because for me, I mean, they're they're both ridiculous. Like they, they both kind of kick reality out the door and just kind of go hog wild and, and are, are a total mess. But with the Fast and Furious movies, you get the sense that everybody's having a good time. That they understand that they're over the top and, and and nutty, and and as an audience member, I feel like I'm kind of in on the joke with them. Whereas with the Transformers movies, at least up until Bumblebee, because I think Bumblebee is a totally different thing. Um, with the Transformers movies, I kind of feel like I'm being exploited. Like. Yeah, <laughs> people are just kind of saying, OK, well, we know that people love explosions and scantily clad women and, and dramatic slow pans of people getting out of cars shot from a low angle. And, and if we jam as many of these qualities together as we can, people will shell out hundreds of millions of dollars, even if it makes no sense. And it, it just it feels much more cynical. So so where I'm much more forgiving of Fast and the Furious when Vin Diesel flies across a freeway and manages to catch you know, his, you know, the love of his life in midair when they yeah. would normally shatter each other's bones, you know, on, on impact. I, I, I'm a lot more forgiving of that than, than something that feels like is taking advantage of me. Right.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. It's
1: interesting that you mention those franchises
2: because when we talked to Dan, he mentioned that he hates the Fast and the Furious <laughs> movie. <laughs> All Strong. Strong. So I think it was more of a moral thing. He didn't like the idea of the kind of heel turn joining the bad guys element. But, and then of course that's the first movie or two. And then by the last few, they're basically just James Bond, mission impossible style,
1: ridiculousness, right? Well, the the con, the concept of morality in those movies is, is so hilarious because you, they try to push kind of this, this theme of, of family and, and loyalty and all this kind of thing. And, you know that's that's important, but you know having high speed chases in public and threatening the lives of hundreds of pedestrians, you know, is eh, no big deal. No big deal. That's just part of the, that's part of the life.
0: <laughs> and what's interesting too about those franchises is, until Bumblebee, the Transformers movies had gotten worse and worse as they went on, like uh-huh. critically. Um, but for the Fast and Furious ones, the first three like tanked a little bit, but then by the right. time they got to the fifth one, they it was higher rated than any of the previous movies. Like, they kept getting better, I think.
1: Well, it's, it's almost like they started taking them more seriously as they went along. You know, maybe, maybe not in terms of the realism, but in terms of, you know, because, I mean, it basically started as one genre and has ended up as something completely different. I mean, I, the, first, the first one that I reviewed was the sixth one. And, and I hadn't seen any of them prior to that. And so I thought, okay, well, I've at least got to go see the first movie. So I have an understanding of who these characters are. (laughs) And so I, so I rented the first movie, you know, and then that's all I had going into the sixth. And I mean, I was, it felt like I was watching something completely different.
2: Yeah. You didn't really see the evolution. Right. Right. It came around like the fourth or fifth one where it really kind of turned yeah. yeah, I think
0: it's either the fourth or fifth where they kind of shift dramatically into <laughs> yeah. a new genre. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things um, recently that you have seen or reviewed that where you kind of saw it in a more positive light where um, other critics didn't quite like it as much is Glass.
1: Right. So right.
0: I haven't seen it, but Jonathan has. So I have yeah. a quote here from your review and you and Jonathan can talk about it a little bit.
1: Like <laughs> words at me, are you?
0: Yeah, just a little, <laughs> just like a brief summary. So, uh, you said Glass is far from the most exciting superhero movie out there and it has its flaws, but it is one of the most unique superhero movies to hit the big screen and Shyamalan Shyamalan, Shyamalan <laughs> <laughs> deserves credit for taking a new angle on a well-trod subject. You bring up a really interesting point because I feel like a lot of the movies we've seen um, recently, especially a lot of the Netflix originals, they mm-hmm. kind of go for this like genre-bending, a little bit unexpected, like, non-traditional take on a genre, sure. much like Glass does. And it seems like critics don't like that. But you kind of see the good in that. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. I. It's... I, I actually, I'm really glad you pulled that quote from the movie because I think that explains now now that I hear it back, I feel like, yeah, I think I actually said that the way that I wanted to say that, you know um, <laughs> because I can I can completely understand why people would be disappointed in glass and and even why they would dislike it and be critical of it and I I can't really refute the criticism, so to speak, but, the angle that I was taking on it and the way that I felt about that movie was that I think that when at the end of Split, when we found out that, oh, this is actually a sequel to Unbreakable, and now they're gonna bring everything together and we're gonna get excited here, and everybody kind of got got a little jazzed. But I think and I almost think that subconsciously in our minds we we started picturing Infinity War. It was like, okay, uh, this yes. is this is what's coming. You know what I mean? And yeah. so which which doesn't make any sense at all, because you think about what, you know, what, what this director has done, uh, he's basically staked his, his take on the, the comic book genre as kind of this unique, well, what if this was actually happening in a quote-unquote, you know, real setting? What would this look like? It wouldn't be bright lights and flashy, you know, light beams in the sky. It would be kind of under the radar and, and maybe a little bit more understated. And so I kind of feel like Glass, even if it wasn't as satisfying in certain regards, it's, it was consistent with what he's been doing so far. And so, so it felt like it was a natural evolution from Unbreakable to Split to Glass, even if we wanted it to be a little bit more of a, like I say, maybe kind of an Avengers-style showdown so and i'm gonna try to not
2: really be spoilery here but you're gonna know what i'm talking about okay do is this a spoiler free podcast well well
0: so sometimes we try especially when we're watching a movie Ah. um to see if people want like we try to figure out if we should suggest it that people watch it gotcha and and Um, now it's
1: completely blown split for everybody i apologize fine you're, at,
0: at this point, it's like three years old, four years right. old. I think you're good. But um, so if we think the movie's really bad, we'll just spoil the hell out of it. Yeah. But if we think there's a chance people might want to watch it, um, we try to keep it, like, not spoil the major plot points.
1: Sure. Um,
0: but we'll give a little bit of a...
1: Okay. I will so, be just... subtle. Well, that's fine. Okay.
2: We can always <laughs> edit it or whatever. <laughs> Great. So do you feel like it was a bit of a letdown then? when it seemed like the action and plot was heading to this showdown at the more exciting locale but then ultimately they didn't end up going there they had their little showdown yeah there at the hospital i
1: i will say that it wasn't as good as i hoped it would be just the just the movie in general yeah um and as they were building towards that i remember kind of sitting there and thinking are they really going to go and have like some big showdown because it just didn't seem consistent with what I had seen so far, and so right. even though I understand and you know maybe even a little bit agree that the the ending is a little anticlimactic, it mm-hmm. still makes sense within the boundaries that that Shyamalan has has put in place, and so so that doesn't really excuse it or justify it, but it like I understand it, if that's the neutral yes. thing to say. Right. <laughs>
2: The other thing is, as far as kind of the ending of the movie, it seems like Shyamalan, he always has to have a twist. And this movie kind of had a twist as well. You have, you know, Sam Jackson saying, oh, this wasn't really this kind of story. It was an origin story. And I, yeah, that kind of was a little. Yeah, I agree. Because
0: I I haven't seen Glass, but I did see Unbreakable and I did see Split. And one of the things I think is interesting about. Bruce Willis's character in Unbreakable is I feel like he's the more boring character. Like, I think Glass is so much more of a fascinating character. Like, I love that you like the villain, kind of, even though he's a terrible yeah. person. Yeah. And with um, Splits, you also kind of grow to like some of the personalities of the sure. villain.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so in... Glass, then, are, is the story more focused on the two villains, or it's is really it more all
1: balanced? Three. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say it favors one over the other. It uh, I, I would say it's pretty evenly split, no pun intended. But, uh, <laughs> but, and it definitely does feature kind of
2: showing Gla- Mr. Glass's mastermind plan. And yeah. I mean, he definitely is the puppet master, I see. Ultimately, but you don't necessarily realize that as it goes along. That might be a little spoilery, but that's. Okay. I
0: just like. I mean, some some Shyamalan movies I'm kind of like meh about, but like I didn't <laughs> like Signs. But other than that, I mean, I've I've really liked a lot of his other movies, like Lady in the Water, Ugh. The Visit.
1: <laughs> oh, I didn't see The Visit. So, to, see, to me, to me, still I thought the, the Visit, visit was what got him back on track.
0: Yeah, I really, Jonathan hasn't seen it, I but seen it. I really liked it, and I was confused. Maybe you can give another perspective on this. So when I watched it, I thought it was horrifying, but a lot of the people he works with think it was, like, a comedy? <laughs> and-
1: I, yeah, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I I think that you can definitely, if you have a dark sense of humor, I, mean, I think you could probably find certain things comical, but I don't, I don't think it was an intentional move. It, uh... It, it felt like, you know, and I'm sure the guy probably feels frustrated to feel like he's being pigeonholed, but it kind of felt like you know, he's best equipped to do kind of this horror movie type thing and and where some of the other ones it seem to go. Of course, I don't know if that's really fair because I guess some of his his bad movies are considered horror movies, but um, yeah, no, I just it, to me it felt like I, I was I was happy with the visit because it felt like this is what this guy is good at. This is what I've been hoping that he would do for a while. And it seems like since then I've I've been a little more satisfied with what, what we've been getting from him. Oh, yeah. we totally
0: forgot about last airbender. He did that too.
1: Yeah, that would be <laughs> really was... awful. Yeah, see, i have never I've never seen Last Airbender. I didn't see, is it the happening? That's the one with the trees. Oh yeah.
0: Uh-huh. What a yeah, trees go crazy. I, didn't see that.
1: I don't remember much about Lady in the Water um for me the village was the worst one that was
2: the big twist reveal what, right I was just like this okay it's well, there's, over there's kind of close two it down we're done that
0: one like mm-hmm. there's the minor twist which is right. i think the cooler one and then there's the major twist, the major where you're twist like, at the
1: very Why? end the, <laughs> just, no that's a, what's, it's a, the, what's funny is that the the village was the first of his movies where i actually predicted the in this case the major twist And I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because I, I I don't, I don't, I'm not the kind of moviegoer or critic or whatever that likes to try to figure things out ahead of time. You know, I kind of like to just lose myself in it and, and, uh, but that was, that was the first one where I kind of, it kind of occurred to me about halfway, two thirds of the way through that, and maybe this isn't, maybe what I'm assuming isn't what I should be assuming here.
0: Yeah. We, we like to play a game we call King of the Show. I don't know if you stole that from something, Jonathan, or if it. You invented from it. A
2: TV show. TV
0: show somewhere. But we we love to else. try to guess like what's yeah. going on in a movie or a TV show and oh, see yeah. if we can figure it out. Yeah. So, yeah we're the opposite. We can do
1: it first. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah. Um. So going
2: back to Glass for just a minute, I'm really glad she picked this quote as well because this basically sums up exactly how I felt about the movie. Like I didn't think it was amazing, but I definitely yeah. liked it. I thought it was pretty good for what it was trying to do, and it, it was kind of that more realism right. a- element. I thought it was a, an interesting, and maybe some people would say it was not subtle at all, or maybe they, some people would be like, what? But the conversation he has briefly with... Who's he? So the conversation Mr. Glass has with the Split Guy, whatever his sure. name was, right. about <laughs> painting, he says something about... You know, oh, that's you know this—that's this painter, blah blah blah. You know, goes on this Wikipedia kind of knowledge about that the some genre painting, genre okay. movie, some school of style of painting. Okay, okay. This is going to sound really obscure, but what I took from it is almost like a criticism, a way to critique movies and basically say, hey, you know what, not everything is your cup of tea, just like not all paintings are going to look beautiful and, you know, touch you, Uh but there is some kind of, um,
0: like the beauties in the eye of the holder.
2: Exactly. You know, there is a beauty to it that someone will appreciate and that's kind of what matters. And that's, that was kind of like painted my view of the whole movie. And I was like, that's really kind of speaks to critiquing film in general is, you mm-hmm. know, there are different styles. There are different, just like other art. I mean, film is art. It's just very different from kind of the traditional you sure. know, forms of art. Um, I guess there's not really a question in
1: here. I'm just rambling. No, I, but. You know, I don't, I don't remember that specific conversation in the movie, but that does sound, I, I, I think you've got the right take there. It, it definitely sounds like something that he would, he would say, to to send a message you know because he he definitely feels like or de- seems like the kind of guy that uh, is very conscious of of his audience and his audience's reaction and you know maybe, maybe the critical reaction as well
0: yeah so with the way we watch movies we try to you know find the good in it uh, or we try to figure out we try to see how other people might like it even if it's not something we would like So do you feel like you do that with your reviews? Kind of if it's like a kids movie or something that you know you might not like it, but
2: great on a curve. Basically, is what we're asking based on who the target is.
1: Right. Well, I think I think, and a lot of this has to do with the outlet I work for. Since since I'm working for you know a a newspaper that has you know a a localized but but broad. You know, I'm not writing for a very targeted blog so to speak right, right and so right. and so i kind of have to think about you know what what my audience is looking for and and my audience isn't necessarily the same group each time and you 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 bring up a perfect example which is you know uh, i was actually just talking about this today which is that when it comes to kids movies or movies that are predominantly aimed at kids because of course there's some dispute about well pixar movies you know, they're kind of trying to appeal to a number of different audiences, but they're still primarily aimed at, you know, younger viewers. Um, and, and when that's, when that's the case, I, I realize that, I mean, well, you know, first of all, they're not for me. They're not aiming at me. They're not trying to get my business per se. Um, and so when I, when I evaluate them, I'm thinking more along the lines of their potential audience. Um, and so, so I try to gauge the reaction of the younger members of the audience who were at the screening. Um, but then but then I actually, since I don't know a whole lot of five-year-olds that are, you know, reading my reviews, <laughs> I I write for the parents because, uh, and, I, and I think this speaks to uh, uh, a lot of the things, actually, that uh, we, could, we could cover some of the questions you mentioned, is that at, at the end of the day, these movies are pretty much all charging you the same amount of money to go see them. And, and so, especially when it comes to a, you know, a a younger viewers kind of, kind of a kid's movie, I look at it from the perspective of, okay, this isn't just a question of, is this worth dropping five bucks on a Tuesday afternoon? This is a question of, okay, well, are mom and dad going to pack up three kids and buy popcorn and drinks and candy and, and tickets and spend, you know, $100, 150 bucks, whatever, yeah. to go and see this. And they're only going to do that a couple of times a year, you know, at least my I'm assuming, right? And so so from that perspective, I kind of have to say, all right, well, even if a, a children's movie is is totally innocent and well intended and and perfectly fine, I still have to be able to distinguish that from the movie that is worth that kind of an investment. Because, you know, even even if it is You know, kind of an independent movie, or if it's a low budget, or if it's you know, kind of the the little engine that could. The reality is, they're still charging the same amount of money per ticket as as the big budget ones.
0: Yeah, we do that a lot of the times too with a movie. It's like, okay, are we gonna get a babysitter? Are we gonna bother making the effort to go out and see this, or are we just gonna wait?
2: We're gonna wait until it comes (laughs) on HBO
0: or or Netflix. Please enjoy this brief announcement from Nick and Justin from the Epic Film Guys promoting the live stream for The Cure, which we will be participating in.
1: I'm Nick. And I'm Justin. And we
2: can't believe it's already time for the 2019 live stream for The Cure. Thanks to our amazing peers, listeners, and supporters. Last year, we crushed our goal of $5,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. The Cancer Research Institute is funding research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. Every single cent we raise goes to them. And they're also rated over 92% on charitynavigator.org. This year, we're aiming our sights even higher with our most ambitious event to date. Join us May 17th through the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of live content from us and other amazing shows who will join us to try to reach $7,500. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure for more information or to find out how you can be a part of the event. Together, we can make a difference.
0: And now back to our interview with film critic josh terry so one of the things i did want to bring up this is kind of a throwback review for you but i was surprised that you liked the movie because we were surprised when we watched it do you remember reviewing free birds the movie about the thanksgiving time traveling turkeys
1: yeah wow (laughs) that was a while back
0: I know, it's a couple years ago, but we we came across that recently because I was like, Oh, there aren't really many Thanksgiving movies. Like we should have our kids oh. watch this.
1: But, <laughs> free birds is probably why. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's it was like a surprisingly enjoyable movie. And you kind of like went on about, you know, how it does definitely have a specific message, which maybe doesn't belong in a kid's movie about, you know, animal cruelty and <laughs> right. things like that. But um I just thought it was funny that you actually kind of liked the movie, considering it's it's a really random, like, right. not well-known animation studio and a ridiculous concept that turkeys are going to time travel to the past to stop the first Thanksgiving. But
1: yeah. it's a you, fun you, one. What was – because I, I remember I remember being kind of annoyed at what kind of felt like it had a little bit of an agenda to it, yeah, I don't remember much else. Did I give it a positive review? <laughs>
0: I'll have to find it, but I think you—it it was fairly positive.
1: <laughs> I hate—I—I I, I hate to make it sound like an excuse, but the when when you're reviewing as many movies, no. it's once you get about two or three weeks on, it's like I'm I'm scratching my head trying to remember Glass, you know. <laughs> yeah, you just dump it out. yeah. Yeah. There's
0: only so much room in everyone's brain for it. I have it. a
1: random question
2: for you, and this sure. apparently you may not remember if you've seen it or not. <laughs> well, so first of all, do you ever review movies that are on Netflix, or do you only ever do movies that come out in theaters?
1: You know, so, so far, we've pretty much just been focusing on kind of the, the wide theatrical distribution-type movies. Um, a lot of movies that I've reviewed at Sundance have wound up on Netflix. Okay. Um And then, of course, I I reviewed Roma, which turned out to be, you know, because I I think it had a very brief theatrical kind of there was a kind of a special engagement that wound up on Netflix. But, yeah, as a rule, and and this is a rule that I could see changing based on the way things are going. uh, But as of right now, we're not officially including the the Netflix release. Okay. So tangent before I go
2: back to my original (laughs) question, we were just talking Um, about this today. As far as Roma goes... So we
0: were talking about this earlier. Okay. Yeah. I'll explain it. it. was my theory. Sure. So I thought, in doing my Oscar predictions, that Roma is going to win Best Foreign Language Film and not get Best Picture. Okay. And I'm curious if maybe I thought that it'd be possible that if Roma was in English instead mm-hmm. of Spanish, it would have won Best Picture.
2: Like if it had not qualified and won the
1: Best Foreign Oscar. Right. Yeah um that's i mean that's a really interesting idea i i i can't say uh i mean no way to know right (laughs) well i mean i i feel pretty disconnected from kind of the the prestige oscar type you know i if if i if you had just laid out the the movies in front of me and told me which one's going to win best best picture i probably couldn't have couldn't have guessed it i mean i i looking back, I can see, okay, yeah, I could see why people would wind up giving it to Green Book, but I didn't, you know, I, I don't know that I had as much of a feel for what would or would not work for Roma. Um, I don't know that making it in English would have put it over the top necessarily. Um, this, I mean, this really did, it, 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 given, given my limited perspective, I, it, it did feel like this year, things were a lot more even across the board. It didn't seem like, from what, from what I was hearing, it didn't seem like there were any obvious favorites. Okay. Uh, so, you know, maybe something like that could have made quite a bit of, you know, made just enough difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, and I, I do see how the idea that, okay, well, this is going to win Best Foreign Picture or it's in the foreign category would lead a lot of voters to say okay well i'll just vote for roma over here and then i'll vote for something else for best picture so we can spread the love right right yeah that was
0: my theory about it
1: yeah and i i I would i would say that as much as anything that was just
2: our own curiosity not necessarily for anything we do but okay so going back yeah did you ever see the movie mute
0: it's a no, Netflix It's a original. Netflix film.
2: Okay, that's fine. I won't yeah. ask Let's my question. <laughs> I'll save my question for some other film critic. I can, you know, I
1: can make up an answer.
2: Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> just... Well, <laughs> Mute, Mute was not well-reviewed, and it's kind of a future gritty, dark, dystopian-type world. Okay. And Blade Runner 2049, that came out like the year or two before that, kind of the similar world. Okay. And basically... I'm curious, and I can't ask you obviously because you can't compare them. So this yeah. is kind of, at some point, I'd like to ask someone who has seen both and you know does what you do for a living, why is one so bad and one considered so good? Because yeah. we liked.
0: I did not like Blade Runner 2049 at all, but I really did like Mute. A yeah, lot. it's
2: just kind of weird. Like we and we we actually had a guest guy on our podcast who does his own podcast who had not watched it. We all watched Mute separately. Uh-huh. We all, we all didn't know beforehand that we all kind of were going to end up liking it. And it was like, why does yeah. this have like a 20% on, you know. At the same time though,
0: none of the, none of us could pinpoint why we liked yeah. it. It was <laughs> just interesting, Precisely. So I think well, there's a lot of fun movies like that where you're like, yeah, I liked that. But if you asked me why, I wouldn't be able to tell you.
1: Well, and if I, if I can jump in, there's, there's something that you know, might, might be valuable here that, that I've talked about with other people and I've even written about, which is that it, I'm not sure that a lot of times people understand what Rotten Tomatoes means Sure. in, in terms of, you know, because I, I think that, you know, and it's probably just because of our, our, you know, grade school upbringing and all this kind of thing that we, we tend to associate the percentage out of 100 as, you know, well, if it's not above 90%, it's an A and 80s is in the B and et cetera. Right. Whereas it seems like, you know, the difference, the difference between a an 87% movie and a 25% movie might not be as big as we would think because it just means that, you know, the, the 87% movie could be, you know, most people just thought it was fine. They gave it a positive review, but they weren't really glowing about it. Right. And and whereas the 25 percent, you know, maybe some people really, really liked it and it was very polarizing and, and a lot of other people didn't just didn't get yeah. on board with it. And because I think I think that's where a lot of the disparity comes, I think, between, you know, what what the critics will say and what the audiences will say, you know, and it just kind of reading because and honestly, it's, it's one of the things that I keep in mind when I when I give my ratings, because I know that. Past a certain a certain threshold, Rotten Tomatoes is going to interpret my rating as rotten or fresh, mm-hmm. and so you take a movie like like Glass or you know it's like uh, uh, like Mortal Engines, and you know these are movies that I can definitely see flaws with, but I realized that you know overall, if I had to give a a, a summary judgment on it, you know I kind of liked it and I enjoyed it and I, I recognize the flaws, but still want to kind of lean positive, mm-hmm. but the The Rotten Tomatoes kind of turns it into this binary that's almost a little bit too extreme, you know, where yeah. it's 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 either really really good or really crap, you know, and and there's nothing in between where most of the movies have a little both. Do you feel like then those
0: aggregate sites.
2: aggregate sites not necessarily make your job harder, but certainly affect kind of the way you do your
1: work. Well, they in in a sense that. I have to give a rating like my, my feeling is if somebody reads my review they'll if i've done my job they'll understand what i'm trying to say uh uh-huh. if it's you know this is a, a decent movie but it's flawed that will come clear in the review sometimes whether it's but, but trying to distill that down to two and a half stars versus three stars versus two stars mm-hmm. that's where it gets a little more tricky because you know, if if it's say you know two or two and a half stars, it's going to be interpreted as rotten. Whereas three stars suddenly is fresh, and there may not be much difference between those. You know, and and you know, I think *Mortal Engines* was a great example where I really liked that movie. I really liked a lot of things about it. I felt a little annoyed, like some people, towards the end when you know. And I I, I won't obviously won't spoil anything, but there are some some parallels to *Star Wars* that seemed a little too too spot on, and and kind of. Kind of ruined the ending, and so, in trying to decide where to land you know and i can I can explain this you know in my review quite clearly, but then when I have to put a star rating on it, it's like, okay, well, if I give it three stars, that generally means it's a good movie, you know maybe lowercase g right. but, uh, <laughs> but if I go underneath that it, I'm, I'm saying that the flaws are catastrophic that because of you know, this twist or that twist, that no, this is this movie is not worth your time. And and it's this fine line that I, I find myself trying to navigate a lot more often than I wish I had to. Yeah.
0: yeah. When, when we boil down a movie, we basically look at it and say, when it was over, did we regret watching it and want yeah. that time back? Or did we enjoy it? Yeah. And yeah. I wish more people could kind of look at it that way. Like, not every movie is going to be this great piece of art Sometimes the movie is just there to entertain you for two hours.
2: Sure. Uh, Yeah. And also, like you said, I mean, we, we look at either Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic and we kind of had determined, like you were saying, where is the cutoff where really it is like a one star movie. I went, I
0: was like a crazy person with like charts and lines and calculators. (laughs) Like I went nuts trying to figure out what we would classify as a one star Because there is such a slight difference between Certified Fresh and Regular Fresh and whatever else. Also,
2: we want to leave ourselves open to have enough movies to watch. Like, we're not going to sit there and go, well...
0: Yeah. On Metacritic, because they have this, like, proprietary weighting system to what they give your critic reviews, um, there's hardly anything that has below a 20%, even though they're rated out of 100. So just kind of across the board, we went, all right, anything that has a 40% or less on either one of those sites... We're gonna say it's
1: a one-star movie. Gotcha.
2: Where, yeah. Whereas on Rotten Tomatoes, there could it's you have the bumblebees, which are like ninety percent, but like yeah. you said, they're not, not like Oscar-worthy. They're really right. kind of like C, B minus, whatever. Like they're good, but lowercase G. Uh-huh. Whereas you also have movies though, like a six percent, where you're like, how is this so low? And it's because well, everybody agreed it was bad, except for a handful of people. But they right. didn't necessarily all agree it was the worst ever, yeah. but just the way that their, their calculations come through makes it look worse. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So and so so to kind of answer your question, I, I think that the aggregate sites, I think they're perfectly useful. I think they're good. I mean, they, they do kind of make me, you know, think about what I'm gonna say. Um, but I th- I think the key is just, you know, as long as people understand what the information means and what it represents, they're you know, I, I think they're absolutely. Because I know that there's been controversy about, oh, well, it was, it was Rotten Tomatoes sinking, you know, movies by getting, you know, putting out unfair negative press. And, right. And yeah, a lot
2: of studios getting mad that their movies look worse than they are.
1: Right. But, you know, obviously they would be using the, the score in their advertising if it was positive. So yeah. it, <laughs> you could yeah, get they- with a sizable grain of salt.
0: There's pretty much one way we can guarantee a movie is bad, and it's when they either don't screen it for critics or they hold back the critic reviews before it's released in theater. <laughs> yeah.
1: no, and that's 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 really one of the things that became very clear to me early on was that if if there was no screening, if this was something that I'd have to go see myself on a Thursday night or a Friday, uh, and granted there are, there are definitely exceptions, but but for the most part, and it's it's hard too because I. I, I want to be as, as neutral and, and objective as I can going in, but in those situations, it's very easy to, to kind of go in and say, okay, well, why didn't they screen this for us? What's yeah, wrong? What are
0: with? they hiding?
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and sometimes it'll be the same problem if if two movies are scheduled the same night um, because it, you kind of get the feeling like, well, I guess, do they not want us to see one or the other or are they yeah. trying to kind of hide one of these? And so... Yeah, no, it's it, it, it does make it uh, a little more complicated sometimes. I do have one more question,
2: actually, sure. before we finish. You bet. Because this is what we watched, like, two days ago. We watched the movie Universal Soldier. Okay. I don't know if you remember that or ever saw that. I never saw uh, it, but
1: I do remember
2: it. So it's Jean-Claude Van Damme from, like, the early 90s, and it's okay. a Roland Emmerich film. Okay. Um. Anyway basically my thoughts afterwards were: i think movies are just getting better like just looking back at even movies that were considered like mediocre or good from the 80s that were action films that people right. fondly remember and go oh yeah i remember watching that was a when i was a kid it was yeah that movie's awesome like i've watched them as an adult and been like this is boring and not that great why did people <laughs> love this movie Right. Um, and I'm I'm sure people would be like, how dare you? But, like, I'm sorry, the, the Predator, with our own Schwarzenegger, it's not a bad movie, but it's not really that exciting compared to what we have today as far as action movies. Lethal Weapon, maybe it's because there's just so many TV shows that are the exact same kind of cop, uh-huh. you know, procedural type thing that, like, movies like that just don't excite me anymore. But... Do you feel like movies nowadays are just, as a whole, better? Like has Hollywood had to step up its game, or do we have a long way to
1: go before we can really say that? Oh, I mean, I, I hate to, I hate to give the easy answer, but I mean, I, I kind of feel like the answer is both, you know. That, <laughs> okay. That, well, no, I mean, I, because there there are clearly advances, you know, I and uh, both both in terms of cgi and then you know you think you look at this most recent mad max movie which is kind of held up as the the great you know return to form of practical effects and all that and mm-hmm. and yeah i mean you, i think you look at movies like that and they they engage visually and maybe in terms of you know excitement and and dazzling effects more than something that's 30 years old you know um but I, at the same time, I mean, it's well. For one thing, it's really hard to argue that that Hollywood is at its peak when you know we see so many remakes and reboots and and knockoffs and and things like that. But yeah. I, I think that I think that regardless of the production value, it still comes down to good stories and and good writing and and good performances in that sense. Because I think a lot of those older. Movies, maybe not necessarily the ones that that you've cited. It's been a long time since I've seen *Sure* *The no, uh, <laughs> <"Lifle laughs> Weapon*, but but I do, you know. For for example, uh, you know, I, I rewatched uh, *Aliens* a while back, you know, and and that's a movie that, you know, if they were to remake that directly right now, they'd probably be able to pull off a lot more visually and in terms of effects. But I don't know that it would really improve the original that much. You know, the uh, the original was engaging for for different reasons than that. I think, and so. So yeah I mean I, I definitely think that there is a a, a production standard and a standard of, of excellence in certain certain aspects and certain criteria that's that's definitely far superior I mean there are unfortunately there are, there are movies that really just don't age well right um, but uh, but I think that the key things that make movies memorable or resonant or or really effective are, are still the same and uh, I as somebody who's, who's getting a little tired of, of so many reboots and remakes and, you know, let's let's remake every single movie from the 1980s and try to twist something around, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to, uh, to, to hold back all my criticism. Sure.
0: Yeah, one of the things we've noticed in a lot of the movies that we've watched so far is really the story is always the most difficult thing to overcome if it's bad. Like, you yeah. can kind of forgive a little bit of less than stellar acting. You can forgive a little bit of basically, yeah, the 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 things that the movie does poorly in general, but story is just such an integral part of making the movie right. either watchable or not. And
1: you know, and I I don't I don't know if this helps. You feel free to edit this out if this doesn't make any right. sense, but <laughs> no, you're fine. I I when when you asked me that question, one of the first things that actually sprang to mind was wasn't about movies, but was about music. Um, cuz I spent a number of years, you know, playing in different bands and, and things like that. You know, cer- certainly nothing, you know, nothing big, but I've had conversations with people and, and there have been times when, you know, somebody will play me a cover of some old song that's 30 or 40 years old, some some classic rock song. And, well, no, here's a new cover by such and such a band. And this drummer is really incredible and he does all these wild and crazy things. And listen to this this guitarist, he's just out of his mind. And, and what I keep coming back to is that, you know, you can be really flashy in, in, in some little aspect, like, like drumming that doesn't necessarily make the new version better or superior because, well, it's got better drums or it's got, you know, better vocals or it's got better, better, uh, you know, sound production and it's all digital now because it still comes back to, you know, the heart of what makes the song good itself. And sometimes, you know, the subtlety can be lost. I think, you know, again, none, none of this is meant to suggest that, Predator is the greatest movie of all time, right? <laughs> well, to
2: your point about Aliens, I mean, we've seen between Prometheus and Alien Covenant,
0: uh-huh. we've
2: basically seen two modern examples where they have access to modern yeah. special effects, right? And I'm not saying that either of those movies are bad uh-huh. per se, but they definitely nobody puts them on the same level as the first two Alien movies, sure.
0: The well, story was a lot more convoluted and yeah. not as in- engaging as right. the original yeah.
1: trilogy. Well, and the, I think I think the Star Wars prequels are probably the you know exhibit A in that argument, right? Where you know where they had to kind of struggle past limitations to make the first three. When it was no holds barred, it kind of fell on its face, you know. And maybe the Star Wars conversation is something we have to save for a another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the remakes and stuff because after we watched universal soldier my immediate reaction was i'm almost surprised nobody's remade this film yet they've remade everything else from that era Uh so but anyway that's go ahead
1: yeah (laughs) it it might be just around the corner you never know yeah i'm sure
0: so i want to thank you so so much for taking the time to speak with us today it has been an absolute pleasure do you have um i know you have your youtube channel is there anything else you want to or just take some time and plug whatever you want.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, I'd, I'd plug the YouTube channel if it was more operational at the moment. I haven't <laughs> been able to get anything posted in quite a while. Um, yeah, right now it's just uh, pretty much just the Deseret News reviews. Um, I do have a couple of Facebook channels that I also need to be a little more active on, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe this should spur on more of a, an effort on my part to get back up to up to speed
0: <laughs> yeah so you mentioned your facebook do you want to actually yeah. say like what the link is and if you have twitter or sure
1: i think it's just that. a josh terry film critic um not on twitter and my instagram is just for my photography just a josh terry photo so i don't know if i got the best <laughs> <photo>. <laughs> <laughs> I, guys i live like i live a kind of a random life i i my day, my daytime job is as an english teacher and i do this and so it's a I don't don't know if uh, there's a way to promote my English teaching, unfortunately. (laughs) Okay.
0: All right. Well, you can check out Josh's reviews on the Deseret News. And you are a Rotten Tomatoes-approved critic, so you can check out his reviews there as well.
1: Yes. For sure.
0: Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of One Star Bazaar. As always, you can reach out to us on social media to let us know what you think or make suggestions for what we should watch next. At One Star Bazaar.